Welcome. This is Joseph Vali Presents. Today we have Dr. Jeffrey Smith, my co-host, and we have Diana White Eagle, and we're waiting for a couple more people to join us. But anyway, I want to say thank you for joining us. And um, Jeff, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Joseph. How are you today? I just couldn't be better. So today we're going to talk about grief. And if you'll be so kind to take take that and start off with um, what you if people come and talk to you about grief, how how does that how does that start out, Jeff? Well, it's built around the concept of loss and disappointment, yeah. which is a really interesting concept uh, because, as we know, if we're talking about loss of relationship. For example, yes. the death of a loved one. Yes. Uh, they really, you know, it's it, it's simply a change. It's not really a loss. In that, we can still be in relationship. We can still access. We can still feel and connect. We just have to learn how to do it differently. But it takes a while for people to accept that because we want to be able to hug and we want to be able to hold and we want to be able to hear voice and we don't have a lot of training in the western world of how to actually connect to our departed loved ones uh, that are on the other side but everybody on this call everybody that's joining us today on this radio station all knows you've assembled a panel of subject matter experts that all know that it's really no different than prayer. If you have any kind of a prayer life, you're communicating with a spirit or an energy or an entity that is not in the physical, is in the metaphysical. And we've, we've learned how to do that. People feel close to their creator or their God or their higher power, uh, whatever people have that we just really lean to transition that same belief system that we have in communicating with God or Jesus or your spirit guides or your guardian angels or your higher self or your uh, higher power, you need to learn how to do that with mom or grandma or wife or daughter or son or whoever's passed or transitioned. So it's encouraging. I find it encouraging when somebody comes in and I let them express their grief and their sadness. But then we very quickly move into a process of, there was a time when we didn't know how to text message. There was a time <laughs> yeah. we didn't, didn't know how to use a cell phone, but we all learned these ways of communicating. You know, there was a time, think about this radio station, there was a time when we all had to be in the studio together. And now we can all be in our own little <laughs> spaces, and we can all call in, and it's centralized, and we're doing this Boy. radio show from different states yeah well, right? isn't that we, had, we, we had to learn how to do that that's all it is is you just have to be willing to learn how to communicate relate in a different way and if you're willing and hopefully you're willing yeah and hopefully that's what we're doing here today we're showing people how to at least understand about grief i was told many years ago that grief is like the ocean that sometimes it comes in a little sort of just little sprays and then sometimes it comes in like a tsunami. 
it wipes you out. Um, and um, I've, I happened to be there at one time because we've lost a few people. Maria Dancinghart, do you remember her, Jeff? She was on our show. Diana White Eagle with us as well today. And she's a medium, and we've been doing shows together for years. And um, and so, you know, I have uh, I have a wife who doesn't believe in anything like this, and so it just breaks my heart that that she thinks that she won't see her daughter again until she dies. And I know that, in fact, they hear us, they see us, and they know what's going on. And so it's it's um. I want people to understand that that they do see us, they do hear us, and um, they hate to see us sad. They hate to see us. They want us to know that they're fine, that they're with their the Father now. Boy, how can you not be fine being with Jesus, right? And being and being with um, their loved ones, their families. They, you know, people think there's a bunch of spirits up there and nobody. You can see through them and all this stuff. That's not, that's nothing at all how it is. The people who I've talked to, and I've talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of them, they're solid people up there. They're, they have their bodies, they don't, and they do, um, when, when they come and greet you, they're, the only difference is they're younger now. They're 30 in their 30s. And no glasses, <laughs> as that movie says. Um, Heaven is for real, when somebody uh-huh. said. The father showed the son a picture of, because of he said, I play with Papa. And he said, here's a picture of him. And he said, no, there's no glasses in heaven. <laughs> anyway, um, so say hello to Diana. Diana White Eagle's with us. Hi. <laughs> It's a, so Diana has been on my show for gosh ten years now as well as Jeffrey, and we've talked to a lot of people. People have called in and got some satisfaction, or at least um, you know talked about their grief and talked about losing someone. And um, so, so Jeff, um, when someone comes in after after the, the initial thing, I mean, do you feel like they leave their understanding that or feeling better or tell me how you think what you've accomplished when you talk to someone like that. Well, if we use, if we use somebody like your wife, for example, it could be a long time in the making before somebody is really willing to let go of their pain. Because grief is, grief is a form of pain. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, sometimes it, it, I, I can never know how willing someone is to let go of their pain and their grief because they're familiar with it. And it's like, you know, I, I'd rather deal with the devil I know than the devil I don't know. And the pain and grief are, you know, I'm tongue in cheek here when I refer to that as a devil, but that's, there's a saying, you know, that's an ancient wisdom saying is, I'd rather dance with the devil I know than the one I don't know. So it's really, it's hard to know who's going to be willing and who isn't. Oftentimes the people that are most willing are the ones that are in the most pain because they realize that the way that they're going about living their life isn't sustainable. 
and that they're going to end up on an antidepressant or they're going to end up in a in, mm-hmm. in a bottle. You know, they're going to try to self-medicate their pain in some way that just brings about more pain, more dysfunction, because it doesn't actually address the real issue. Speaking of that, I was thinking that maybe next show we do, we should talk about opioids. I can't believe the people who are dying and he's taking these pills and it, and the people just prescribe them like they're prescribing sugar water pills. And I yeah. thought we'd have a great show about talking about them, Jeff. Yeah. Anyway, um, so when I come into your office and I tell you that I have a wife who doesn't believe in this and you tell me that it's going to take time, and and every day she relives this death. Just breaks my heart. Um, part part of the problem is that she'll be ninety years old. In um, well, Wednesday she'll be ninety years old, and her memory's not as wonderful as it used to be. Nor nor is mine, by the way. But um, but I just think that um, there ought to be a way we can figure this out so there's no pain. Nice. Hi. Hi. Uh huh. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Good. So, uh, we're talking about grief. And uh, I'm talking about, so tell me what your take on grief is. Oh, okay. Um, Well, grief is a matter of perception to begin with. Uh, what you perceive as grief is very important to you, but I might not see the same thing as you do, and I may not perceive it as grief. So it's very personal, and it's a matter of learning how to let go. Um, the thing about grief that's so interesting is there it's really a process, and it's a process that includes five steps. And let me explain. The first step is awareness that there is a grief. And the second one is not believing it's happened. And the third one is trying to negotiate it, change. The fourth one is, I don't know what I'm going to do now, this has happened. And the fifth one is, well, you got to come. And let me give you an example of this and what I say about uh, it being personal and uh, involved in perception. In closing, you've lost your wallet. For after you realize you've lost it, the first things that come to mind usually are, oh, I left it on the bureau, or I left it on the floorboard of the car, or maybe it's at the gas station. And when none of those pan out, you think, well, I'll negotiate. I'll offer a $50 report for whoever returns my wallet. And so you do that. But then in the meantime, nothing happens, and then you start thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to go on? I haven't had a driver's license. All my credit cards are lost, etc. And then the fifth one is, okay, yeah, I'm going to go on. The fourth one is... Hey, Terry, are you driving? Yeah. I can hardly hear you. Do you guys hear okay? Yeah, okay. As soon as I can, I will pull to the side. Okay. Do you guys hear her okay? Pardon me? Oh, I hear you I better say, now. Can everybody hear? Okay, great. Can, can everybody hear me now? Yes, 
Totally yes. love and clear. Okay, yes, okay. Yes. So, do I need to repeat something? No, go ahead. No, we just the last it's... step. The last one? It's just your, the last... your last piece that you were talking about. Well, um, I was talking about that they go through the five steps, and they don't necessarily go through the five steps in numerical order. You can go from one to three, bounce back to two, and up to five, and back to four. And it's all part of your personal process. And you can stay there rumbling in those five steps as long as you want. It depends upon when you are ready to release and let it go. Now, if it's something more serious other than a wallet, obviously the, the emotion attached to the loss is going to be greater. So you're going to grieve longer. We used to say that if it was a spouse that you lost, it was for every 10 years married, one year of grieving. Now, today, we wouldn't say that necessarily because we have so many support groups and we have new ways of thinking and new ways of understanding our religious beliefs, etc. And they're very helpful in the grief process. But grief is a very unusual emotion. It's very normal and healthy but it is unusual because it's all your gig, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, sure. Jeff, what do you think? Oh, yes, we're referencing Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Five Stages of Grief on Death and Dying, and ultimately you could package all that underneath the category of change. It's how, how do we deal with change, and grief would be one category of change. What I like to help people do is I'll take it back to something very simple, like what Diane was talking about uh, with a wallet. I would say if, if your favorite restaurant burned down or went out of business, would you never go to a restaurant again? And people would say, well, of course not. I, I would find a new one. And over time, I would have a new favorite restaurant. And Whoa. in the meantime, I would probably be comparing all of the restaurants I'm experimenting with, with the old restaurant, and my mind would say, I can't find one like the old one. <laughs> but eventually you realize you have to celebrate what you had, and we have to be willing to go forward and move on into what will be. So grief is about living in the past, and negotiating and dealing with change is about being willing to live in the moment, being present, and leaning forward into, rather than leaning backward. So whether it's a I've wallet or a I've never heard it put like that, Jeff. That's yeah, wonderful. So everybody on the planet is dealing with grief right now with what was. Everybody, everybody is saying, I want things to go back to the way they were. Well, the way things were <laughs> is gone. We, we are all creating a new normal. We are all in the process of being confronted with and facing what tomorrow is going to look like that is not going to look like yesterday. And the more that we hang on to it has to go back to the way things were, the more dissatisfied and discontent we will be. We, we do that too, don't we? I mean, we all do that too, but I've done it myself in the past. Sure. Is that human nature? Is that why? Is that just well, the opposite reverse? Of course it's natural. I mean, change doesn't come easy. 
it comes easier to some than others, but all of it is uncomfortable. And so we always we always go for the pleasure principle. We want comfort. We don't want. You know, comfort. Maria Maria Dancing Heart did a video on change with courage. I don't know how many of you seen that, but it's a wonderful video about that very thing. And um, of course, she's in heaven now, but. She wrote that book, The Last Adventure of Life, and she's been on my show many times. And um, Changes Courage is a wonderful. If you have a chance, you should look into that. It's a wonderful video. Um, she talks about that very thing. Um, Jeff, I never heard it put like that, but I really liked I liked that metaphor. Um, if, if a restaurant burned down, if you would you go to another one? Yeah, of course you would. Yeah, and eventually you'd have a new favorite restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> Terry. Joseph, what happened? Well, he didn't have your phone number, I guess. Anyway, I gave your phone number that, to Don. Yeah. I mean, my I, phone number happy, to Don. We're happy that you're with us. This Thank is Terry, you. Dr. Terry Daniels. Dr. Terry Daniels has been a friend of mine forever, and... um she, um, I first met her when she lost her son, uh, and she wrote a book together with her son. I should let you talk about that story more than I, Terry. Why don't you tell us about that just briefly? Okay. Uh, well, that was 13 years ago, and he began speaking to me very clearly within 30 minutes after he died. And um, I knew he was very ill for half of his life, severely disabled, so his death was expected and anticipated. And um, prior to that, he, because of his disability, he had lost the ability to speak, so we were communicating telepathically anyway. And I knew that after he died, that would continue. So that was kind of how I got started in this work. My first book is called A Swan in Heaven, and it was about... Uh, our communication, and after that, um, I wanted to get more seriously into working with death and dying. But uh, and so I went. Uh, I became a hospice volunteer. Then I went back to school and be, trained to be a chaplain, and then got a master's degree and a doctorate in uh, pastoral counseling. So the whole thing has changed quite a bit from what it was when I started out. And now you do um, wonderful um, workshops, seminars for, I'll leave it on that now, how many years? Well, I started the Afterlife Conference in 2010. So this is wow. our 10th year, and um, that's a big national conference that we have every year. And everybody that you know of has spoken there, you know, from Raymond Moody and Eben Alexander yeah. and Nita Moore Johnny, yeah. all the superstars. Yeah. But we also now, over the last few years, have expanded it to include uh, shamans, shamanic practitioners, um, people I know. representing different cultures, different views of death in the afterlife. I remember when I first started doing this. I think I might have been a, maybe the first one, maybe one of the first ones that, I mean, I remember I did, a, I asked people to send me an email how many people have had a near-death experience or whatever they thought that was. And I got hundreds of letters that we, that we went through. And so and now it's so much more accepted than it was then, isn't it, Terry? 
Well, yeah, and and the reason it's more accepted is because it's sort of creeped into the mainstream, and there is actually bona fide academic research on it now, which 10 years ago when we started the Afterlife Conference, aside from Raymond Moody and Melvin Morse's work, there really weren't any actual academic studies. Now there are tons of them, and... That's what's making it more acceptable is that, you know, med- not so much medical doctors as much as nurses and hospice workers, you know, just take it for granted now, of course, because we see in yeah. hospice work that we see people having these experiences. We know that. When, when we did our workshop with Maria Dancinghart about signing at Barnes & Nobles, it was standing room only, and half of the people there were nurses and doctors. Yes. I mean, we sold that house out. Yeah. And... Um, I, I mean, I I um I saw I, her book that she wrote, The Last Adventure of Life. Have you had uh, Doctor um, Jody uh, Jody's husband? I can't think of his last name. Doctor Long. Um, Long. Yes, Doctor Long. Have you had um, them on? I have not had them on, and I approached them ten years ago when we started the conference to to work with us. Um, and they weren't really that interested, so I never really pursued oh. it, which is, you know, um, the, who I've got this year is uh, Christopher Kerr from Hospice Buffalo. This is his third year with us, mm. and he just did a huge research project on the dreams and deathbed visions of the dying. So he's he's quite well known in that field. And our conference this year, I should mention, uh, was canceled, of course, because of the virus. It was supposed to be next month. But it's going to be online, so actually a whole lot more people can afford it and come to it. And it's oh, going, great. Yeah, we're going to have a live stream, so people can go to afterlifeconference.com and find out how to, how to watch it online or watch the recording Whoa. after the fact. That's fabulous. I'm so happy. We'll talk about this again, Terry. But so you, you really are a grief counselor now, right? Among other things, yes. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I do I a lot of work with you, grief, but from a mystical yeah. perspective. Yeah. So tell us your concept on grief, because I lost somebody, and, and my wife is going through this. <clears throat> she doesn't really. Um, she relives this death every every once a week or so, or once a couple times a week. Well, that and um, what you're describing there is trauma which is different than grief. I mean, obviously, they go hand in hand. But someone who's reliving a traumatic loss like that is in a slightly different category. You know, that would require trauma treatment. And uh, there's there's so much to say about grief, I don't know where to start, except to say that um, most people are still holding on to the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross five stages of grief. That has long been uh, rejected. There are no stages. There are no steps in grieving. Oh. Her stages that she developed was um, a project that she did talking to terminally ill patients. It wasn't even an actual study. It was just observations that she put into a book. And that notion of five stages got so popular and then uh, along came David Kessler, who wrote a book with her called The Five Stages of Grief, or Grief and Grieving, I think. So he got those stages attached to grieving, and the whole world just latched onto it because people 
can digest things easier when it's in mm-hmm. nice, neat, little numbered stages. But we now know that it, it doesn't work that way. And what we, you know, the new research that we have says that there are tasks of <laughs> grieving, just like a task, like you go outside and weed your yard or wash your cars, and there's a long list of tasks that we do as we go through the grief process. And um, ideally, to have a healthy grieving process, we want to hit each of those marks and do each of those tasks. But if there's really serious trauma involved, then that process gets kind of thwarted. And then, you know, you move into what's called complicated grief, and, and that's a whole different discussion. Well, I was thinking because of this virus just going around, that would be a good subject to talk about grief today and also about the other stuff we're talking about. So I'm happy to join us, Terry. Yeah, thank um, you. So if someone comes to you and how, so how do you, someone comes to you and says, I've, I've lost someone, how, how do you, what, what do you go from there? Well, um, I don't really believe that grief counseling is useful for most people. Um, counseling is kind of like an intervention, and for most people, you know, grief is a normal, natural thing to happen, and intervention isn't really needed. Support is needed, and practical tools are needed, and most counselors don't know how to provide that. So what I do, because I've done a lot of training in ritual and shamanism and indigenous practices for grief, is I try to give people real tools that they can use. And so, for example, um, just sitting and talking about the loss over and over again is is actually not a healthy thing to do. I want somebody to have an action to take, even if it's something really simple like taking all their pain and anger and rage and guilt and whatever they're feeling and do like the shamans do where you would pick up a rock and blow all of that into the rock, just blow with your breath really hard into the rock and then throw the rock into a river and let the river carry that energy away. And that's really... Well, that's a trauma treatment because trauma lives inside your body. So a little process like that forces you to breathe because when you're in deep grief, you actually aren't breathing. So it forces you to take deep breaths and to blow it out and release that from the body and give it into the world of spirit. Or if you throw it in a river or bury it in the earth, you're giving it to the elements of, you know, earth, air, fire, water. Um, So those are the kinds of of tools that I offer to clients and in my workshop. It's very different than traditional grief counseling. Wow. Jeff, what do you think about that? I am thinking about that, Joseph. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the, the, the metaphor again that all of this has to do with change. It all falls into the category of every moment is a possibility for change and how how we are attached to what was is directly correlates to how difficult it will be for some people to accept what is rather than what was there have been many studies with tibetan monks that have taken memory tests to where they're asked 
to repeat patterns of sounds like dot, dash, dot, dash, dot. And then Mm -hmm. people that, regular people can repeat that saying dot, dash, dot, dash, dot. And when, when monks hear it play through a second time, they're experiencing as if it is happening for the first time again because they've trained their minds to just live in the present and to accept everything that shows up as part of what is supposed to happen. That they're, they're not creating an alternate reality in their mind that things should be this way instead of that way. And that's really what grief is. It's a belief system that we're attached to. I need the universe to be this way. And the universe is clearly saying to you in the moment, honey, son, whatever, that was, this is. And if you're willing to step into what is, you can have what you had. You're just going to have to find it in a different place. We live in an abundant universe. There, God does not want to withhold anything from us. If you want love, love is available. If you had love from someone who's no longer in the physical domain and now is in the metaphysical domain, you either learn how to access them so you can still have love and connection with them, or God will bring someone else into your life that you can still have love. And so really the biggest fear, the biggest challenge for people is they believe that I cannot get what I used to have right available to me. And it puts them into a crisis mode of, how am I going to get love? How am I going to get acceptance? How am I going to get connection? Well, that's easy. I mean, it really is. If you really want love, acceptance, and connection, you'll meet a new friend. You fall in love again. And yes, it can can take a little time, but the Tibetan monks have shown us that if you're really willing to live in the present moment, and moment by moment and by moment as things show up, you realize we live in a perfect universe. We live in a perfect world, and everything is happening for a reason. It's all part of God's creation, and God didn't make any mistakes about anything. And everything is here for us to learn from. Everything is here for us to grow through. But doggone it, it takes a while to build a mindset that you can live in that place where you're just joyful and content and peaceful, because you just let the world do what the world does, and you go with it, and you learn to find that new restaurant. You know, again, we use that same metaphor. My restaurant burned down, or the guy ran it into the ground, and it's not available anymore. So I'm going to challenge myself to go find a new favorite place to eat, or I'm going to find myself a new favorite dog. If my dog died, I'm going to I'm going to step into the now rather than live in the past. Okay, so I I agree with that, Jeff. (laughs) I think that's a great metaphor. But what about children? How do you deal with children who lose somebody? How do you handle that one? The same way. I'm not sure I exactly understand your question. Why why would it be different with children? Well, because how do you tell a child? How do you talk to a child about the death? I guess maybe I mean... Well, I try to ask them what they think they really lost. So when someone dies, what do we really lose? And then I help them see that you can still have that. It's just not going to be from that source. You can you can have whatever you want if you're willing to change the source that you get it from. That's it. It's really a lot less complicated than we try to make it. 
Well, you can. We can have whatever we want, as long as we're open to the way the universe will provide that and show up that way. Well, well I think that's, that's all. True. That's all very lovely, but most people are not Tibetan monks, and when a person is in acute grief. And this is what we learn when we train as clinical chaplains, is the one thing that you don't want to do is try to change the way they think. They're not ready to do that yet. They may never be ready to do that. And um, what, you know, grief is not a response to losing what you once had. It's a response to losing your assumption about how the world works. So it's not just what you once had, but it's what you expected to have in the future. Everything about grief is not in present time. You're right about that. You know, it's, you're either in the past or the future in grief. But the reason grief is so painful for people is because it breaks down our assumptions that we believe about life. For example, children should not die before their parents. Everybody says that. It's an assumption. It isn't true. We have assumptions like, um, you know, marriage should last forever. If someone's religious, they believe that God is going to protect them or look after them. All of those assumptions break apart with a tragic or traumatic loss. And you can't change the person's assumptions or the way that they understand the universe to work. Hopefully that will happen as part of their mourning process, but at least in terms of, you know, counseling and grief support, you have to meet them exactly where they are rather than where you think they should be. And that's a very hard discipline to learn. That's one of the hardest things, uh, you know, that we learn in chaplain training is how to not walk up to a patient or a client and tell them how we think the universe works and and certainly not to even talk about God. I never mention God in my work um, unless somebody else mentions it first so that I can get some sort of sense about yeah. what they think God is before yeah. I yeah. presume to know what they what their understanding is. Yes, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, everyone doesn't think the same. So, Diane, uh, Brian, what do you think? Are you there? She's gone. Everyone's gone. Oh, oh okay. Um, so, Diana, why do you go? Yes. What's your take on this? What is your take on this? Oh, um, exactly what Terry said. Because, when, uh, Terry, you probably don't know because you weren't in the beginning, but I am a medium, and people generally come to me right before... They've given up everything. Um, they haven't gone to the proper or the available help. And uh, when I had an office in Tahoe, I, they would walk in. And usually they, it would be right before they were going to commit suicide. And they wanted to know if <laughs> if there was another side. And uh, so I have had some quite interesting conversations with people. Thank you so much. Especially... 
especially from their loved ones, telling them, no, 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 it's not your time. You have to stay here. And it's, it's very... Um, it's very sad because it's almost it's almost like they they have no more options and they're, they're they want to kill themselves but they they're really afraid and I've talked several out of doing that and getting help but um, go ahead you guys she's back on Diane. Jeff? Yes. Yep. I'm here. Um, I'm here. Okay, good. They asked you a question, but maybe you'd like to ask that question over again so she can get it. Go ahead. Oh, maybe she didn't get the she didn't get to hear Terry, so she wouldn't be able to answer. Um, Diane was driving, and so we don't have a good connection, so unfortunately, she had to go, um, guys, so she was not with us right now. <clears throat> so it's just Terry and uh, Diane and Jeffrey. But if you'd like me to say a couple more things, I wondered about the metaphysical part of this. Um, I wondered about, it started about 2003 when I was with a couple of people and someone stepped into our conversation and it was a big misty oval of a person and the one woman next to me said, my hands are so cold, they're so cold. And I looked up and this misty person was holding her hand. And I just brought the person to her, and she said, oh, that's my husband. He committed suicide, and he was standing there, and he was crying, and he was telling her he was so sorry. And that was my first encounter with being able to talk to someone on the other side or see them also. And I was a little, (laughs) well, I was surprised. And when I, I had a um, situation where I had gone to a fair and I was uh, taking readings and doing metaphysical, the people were coming through and I thought, am I just picking up stuff off the person or is this real? I mean, is there another side? Is it really coming from someplace other than their imagination? And that night when I was sleeping, Away from the, the people that I had seen, a, a young boy was standing at the foot of my bed, and his mother had come to me that day wanting to speak to him. And he was standing there, and he, of course he scared me because generally nobody comes into my bedroom from the other side. And I had said, what do you want? And he said, oh, I just want to say thank you so much. And that's when I realized there was no other people there, that I wasn't picking it up off of the person, that there really was another side. And he came and he said, thank you. And then he left. But up until then, I was a little curious as to where I was getting all this information. And I was hoping it was for real and there was another side because they seemed to be telling me some pretty good stories. But until that little boy appeared in my bedroom... I really didn't know that. 
for sure. And now I know. I mean, there is another side. Um, well, yeah. So, well, you've been on my show now for 10 years, and you have done some phenomenal stuff with everybody's. Um, I'm excited to have you on today and talking oh, about you. this. Um, yeah, I remember, um, <laughs> Diane, I remember when I was driving, Terry I was and Jeff, I was driving up to uh, my radio show in KLAY and Tacoma, and I was crying. I was feeling sorry for myself, and I was it was Mother's Day, and Maria had passed away, and I felt sorry for her, and I had a suicide um, in my house that I rented, and I had to deal with that, and and then it, I was going to talk on the air for Mother's Day, so I was just beside myself, and I remember Diane was supposed to be on my show at two thirty. And the minute I walked in the station at 1 o'clock, she calls me up and she says, your mother just got a hold of me and she told me to tell you to knock it off. And she went up in her car with you and she could hardly see you drive. You remember that, Diane? Oh, yes, I remember. <laughs> she did. <laughs> anyway, she, she gave me hell because my mother said, I'm here. I have all purple on. That's my mother. I have, I have earrings and shoes to match and I look like a million dollars. I'm here. And so, you know, so that was a long time ago. And ever since then, I do know that, that we, our family hears us. They hear us. Yeah. They, they hear what we, they are sorry that we're, that we're going through trauma. They're sorry that we don't understand that they're not really gone. They're not gone from, I mean, they're certainly not here, but they're not really dead. There's no death. Mm -hmm. There's a transition. Transition. Mm -hmm. So, um, boy, it's twelve forty-eight, and we only have a few more minutes. Um, so, Terry, I'm so happy you joined us, and I'm sorry that we that you weren't called. Um, I'm sorry that we misplaced your phone number. But anyway, we'll, we're going to do this again because I think this is not a one a one-time deal talking about grief. You guys agree? I think that this is something we have to talk more about, especially with the trauma that's going on now with people losing people. And, um, well, you know, I would I say um, something about the pandemic that's really important for people to remember okay. about grief. Okay. Um, and is that it's not just that we, we're losing people. There are many, many types of losses that we experience that most people don't think about. Most people, when they think about grief, just go straight to death. But it's helpful to really sit down and assess all the other things that you're grieving. So we're all sad, we're angry, we're depressed, we're, you know, all these feelings. A lot of it is grief because we've lost, back to what I was saying before, our assumptions of security and our assumptions of safety. So, you know, we've lost our jobs and our, our cash flow. We're grieving that. We've lost our normal routine, our habits, and our habitat. So if you normally get up in the morning and go to Starbucks and then you go to your office and you go out to lunch and then you go to the bank and the dry cleaners, all of that mm. is lost. That's changed. It sure has. So we have that loss. We also have uh, the loss of our sense of uh, in imperviousness because all of a sudden we're realizing how vulnerable we are to illness and death mm -hmm. and we don't usually have that awareness on a day-to-day -day basis. We've lost social relationships. I mean, if you really 
go down a list. Um, if you go to my website, spiritualityandgrief.com, you'll see a link there about these different types of losses that we all have to be aware of. And what I ask people to do is, you know, back to ceremony and ritual, is to create some sort of representative symbolic object that represents this loss. Like, let's say you're really freaking out because you lost your job. Take a dollar bill and infuse it, you know, with prayers, put all, you know, whatever you want to say into that dollar bill about how angry you are, how broke you are, or your prayers for recovery, and take that little dollar bill and roll it up and tie a string around it and go outside and tie it up into a tree and let the wind and rain and sun carry those prayers and those feelings about your loss of money out into spirit. So, as I was saying before, I always want to give somebody an action that they can take. It's almost like occupational therapy. So do a little process like that with every kind of loss that you're experiencing, and that helps move it through your body and, and release it from the places where it sticks inside of you and can ultimately actually make you sick. Wow. Jeff, what do you think about that? Well, I, that sounds interesting. If it helps, then I would say keep doing it. It definitely helps. I mean, you know, these are ancient, ancient practices that people have been doing since the beginning of of human thought, you know, is ritualizing things. I mean, that's why we created religion is, you know, so that we can create symbolic representations of things we cannot put words to and interact with those symbols. And hmm. it's it's based on the same idea of creating some representation of the divine or of spirit or of the soul so that we can see it and touch it and work with it. Well, I'd like to wrap it up by just reminding people that what we call loss is simply a change that is ending the way something was so that something new can begin. That's really it. And if you are willing to step into the new beginning, we're going to find that the way we were living didn't work very well. And that's what brought the virus forth. We were not living in a sustainable, healthy, well way on this planet. And we are now going to be forced to address every system, every way that we're, we're living. And it's going to be different. And it's going to take some adjustment for people to step into that. Or you can be hang on to your loss and grief and your sadness. It's up to you. It's, you can hang on to it as long as you want. <laughs> or you can let it go and simply go, oh, okay, it's time to change. Here we go. Let's go. It certainly has. It certainly has uh, given some people some understanding more than ever. I mean, um, people are now having dinner with their families, which, of course, in the old days, that's we all did that. But then uh, somehow we've just changed. Everybody's working two jobs, and people sort of eat on a run. And so, um, you know, I, I just. I just wish that everybody uh, well, and this this is a a situation where people have to just 
you know, just learn, I guess, the hard way or learn as they go. Well, learning takes place best when we're actually not comfortable. If everybody, if everybody wants to be comfortable again, the learning stops or it certainly slows down quite a bit. So this is a really exciting time that change is bringing forth a lot of new learning. And we're either going to go with it or be upset and angry and resentful and live in fear and want what was. So like arguing with reality, you can argue with reality all you want and you won't change it. So, Diana, uh, why do you go? Tell me uh, how people can get a hold of you if they want to call you. Oh, telephone number would be 305-304-2467. And uh, that's actually 305-304-2467. Or dianawhiteeagle.com. They have, just have to put all the E's in. And, Terry, how do people get a hold of you if they want to? Um, well, afterlifeconference.com is the best way to find me, or okay. spiritualityandgrief.com. And is what that and or an ampersand? It's and, A-N-D. Okay, thank you. And how do, um, when do you start doing those conferences online? Uh, the online conference starts June 5th, which was actually the day of the actual physical live conference. Okay. So it's live okay. online June 5th, 6th, and 7th. But if you can't be there live in real time, it's recorded, so you can listen to the recording oh, any time until September 30th. And does it cost money to do that? Yes, it's $129, and it's three days of, of it's about 21 hours of content. Wow. Well, okay, well, anyway, guys, we have a couple, just about two minutes. I just want to thank everyone, as as usual, for, for being a part of this, and I can't believe how fast the hour goes. Um, I, I just think that this is something we need to talk about more. If you guys are willing, let's talk about this again, um, because, you know, it's matters of the heart is really something I really want to talk about more. So, um, And Joseph, you, I wish you much healing with your situation. And if your wife wants um, to call me for a little bit of support and counseling, I'd be happy to do that with her. I, I appreciate that very much. Um, t- thank you so much, Terry, for joining us. Yeah, and, thank and you. And being a part of this. And thank you, uh, Diana White Eagle. And of course, my buddy Jeff Jeffrey Smith. I have Thank to quickly you. tell you how I met how I met Jeffrey. I called about thirty people in San Diego because I was going to share an office with someone doing uh, probation work for kids. I work with kids, and not one person answered the phone except Jeff. And Jeff said, "Hello." I said, "This is your lucky day." It was my lucky day to ever get in contact with Jeffrey. I love you like a brother, yeah. my friend. So um, thank you all for joining us. And this is Joseph Riley Presents.